Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to On the Sporting Couch, a programme about good mental health in sport. I'm Gary Bloom, a psychotherapist and counsellor, and that means I work one-to-one with all sorts of people who are having or have had emotional problems. It doesn't mean that they're ill, it's sometimes called a talking therapy and gives the opportunity for people to discuss their feelings in an open and unjudged way. Meet Jamie O'Hara, one of the most gifted footballers of his generation when he was a young player at Tottenham. But all his talents didn't result in the sort of career he would have wanted and his attention was distracted by fame and fortune. He's been in rehab for addictive behaviours and is now resurrecting his footballing career after a high-profile stint on Celebrity Big Brother. Jamie's enjoying his football again and you'll find him on the training ground of Billericay where he's now the assistant manager. Welcome to On the Sporting Couch, a psychological profile of one of the most fascinating young footballers of his generation, Jamie O'Hara. I've been a big fan of tattoos, really, since I was sort of when I first started playing football so um, yeah they just kind of come on and on and on and then once you start you can't really stop you just keep getting them they're a bit of an addiction really the first ones I started with were just two easy uh, ones which said strength power and courage and then it was my mum's date of birth and when she died they were the first two that I got and then it kind of escalated from there and and actually the, the last one I had was this neck tattoo and the lips and I actually don't like them, and I wish I didn't get them, and I'm actually a bit annoyed that I've I've got it now because getting older now, I'm 32, going into coaching and TV work, I've always got to wear a bloody collar. <laughs> um, so it's a little little bit annoying, but you can't take them off, can you? I wonder what they mean. Tell me about the tattoos, what they say, and, and the and the meaning of having two red female lips on the side of your neck is that that what you've always craved no (laughs) i'll be totally honest i did it to make her happy um she wanted a a stamp of approval i guess being my fiance and uh she wanted to kind of put her lips on my neck to um ward off other women ward off other women yeah why would she need to ward off other women (laughs) why do you think i mean my reputation speaks for itself really i guess um, being a footballer, being who I am, uh, I've always kind of had a bit of a reputation with the ladies. So, you're going red, and I'm just going to. <laughs> and I didn't think I'd embarrass you during this recording because I think my 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 fantasy of meeting you was he's seen most things, he's done most things, he's not <laughs> yeah. going to get embarrassed meeting me. Yeah. Um, why, yeah. Are you, why are you blushing? If your face could speak now, what would it say, Jamie? I would say um, I'm one of them people who's always had a love for the women. That's for sure. I'm going to take you right back and tell me about your first love of your life, your mum. Yeah. um, Tragic story. Yeah, really tragic story. Um, Amazing woman. Uh, You know, I had a fantastic upbringing. Childhood was brilliant. A real close-knit family, brother, my dad and my mum loved each other very much and, you know, were together since they were children. So, um, so yeah, and then uh, she she got cancer 
Um, How old were you when she got cancer, Jamie? I think I was, well, I must have been seven when she first got it. And How then, were you first aware that mum was seriously ill? Um, my dad sat us on uh, on, our, on our stairs and um, I was only young, I was seven, but I'll never forget it. Um, and he said to me and my brother, he said, um, you know, mum's ill and she's going to lose her hair. Me, being seven years of age, didn't understand what that meant, but my brother burst into tears. He's a little bit older and he kind of knew. So, yeah, that's one of the things I never forget. And after that, my mum um, obviously lost her hair um, and become, you know, become quite ill and was obviously going into hospital quite a lot. And she had the... Um, where they spin the blood? What's that? The, um, I can't remember what it's called. But, yeah, she was doing that two, three times a week to constantly having to get the toxins out of her blood and... Yeah, she she become quite ill for a long time. Yeah. What did that do to you, Jamie? Well, it changed. It changed everything. Really, it scarred me for for life. Uh, I was very close to my mum. I was very close as a family. Still find it very difficult to talk about me, mum. But yeah, yeah, it was one of them things where you lose someone who's very precious in your life, who kept all your family together. Even when she was ill, she was still like the rock of the whole, you know, of our whole family. And when she passed away, um, it was it was really difficult to take, and it it changed me as a person. And I think going forward after that, as it's really affected me. You talk about the rock of your family. Yeah, it sounds to me as a psychotherapist, she was the glue of her family. Yeah, I mean, she she kept everything together. She was. Um, you know, she was everything to us, and my dad fell apart after after she died. My brother fell apart, and you know, why didn't you fall apart? I didn't fall apart because I had an ambition and I had a drive, and it was to get to the top at playing football. And I totally, I mean, look, I, I believed I was always going to get to the top anyway. I always believed in myself. But when my mum died, I was 17 and I was at Tottenham. After that, I set my sight on the only thing I'm going to do. I'm not going to think about my mum dying. I'm not going to think about anything else. I'm just going to totally focus on getting to the top. And in a way, it made it, you know, it helped in terms of me being able to get to the top because I had a total ambition of that was it. That was all I was going to do. So I'm slightly puzzled here. The death of your mum concentrates your mind mm-hmm. to a point where you say, all I'm going to consider now is going to be a professional footballer. Yeah. Had mum lived and not got ill, would that mind concentration of the mind be less and you're less likely to make it? Or were you always going to make it? I always believed I was going to make it. Yeah, but mum dying alters everything. Yeah. Do you think it made it? even more likely that mum dying that you were going to make it professionally you understand my question yeah um i think yeah it did because without mum's death you could argue yeah i might have drifted into other things and drifted into going out and partying and um you know i I always had a focus of where i wanted to be from a young age i always wanted to be a footballer but once my mum passed away i didn't grieve I, i grieved 10 years later we'll come on to that has anybody ever pointed out to you, and you have been in therapy, that perhaps mum's death was the making of you as a professional footballer? No, they haven't. Um, a lot of therapists that I've seen have always kind of said that that's where all my underlying issues lie, in my mum's death. Um, you can see now how I've just spun that round. You're putting a positive mindset on it. And, you know, it's terribly tragic what has happened to you but at the same time I'm wondering whether you'd have ever been a first team footballer a professional footballer at one of the top clubs in the country had you not been able to concentrate your mind you're looking after dad yeah you're looking after your brother Mm -hmm. you've got a lot on your plate yeah and at the same time very single-mindedly you say you know what mum's death is going to be the spur excuse the pun I need yeah to make it yeah, I mean, I've never really looked at it like that in terms of uh, I've always looked at it as because everyone's looked at it as a negative thing that's happened in my life. And that's why I've had negative things happen to me because of the choices I've made going forward. But I guess, you know, I guess her passing away did did give me the mindset of, you know, a single vision mindset of where I wanted to be. 
take take me back to when you were seventeen. Mum's just died. You've had the funeral. You're on the verge of the first team. Mm-hmm. You'd already left Arsenal, where you were in the academy. Yeah. You go to Tottenham. You're on the verge of the first team. What sort of young man were you at that age? I would say I was a very driven young young boy. I didn't have many friends. Um, I didn't hang around with footballers. I didn't really go out with people. I was totally totally single-minded in terms of where I wanted to get and I would I had a focus at every single day I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be the best at everything I did in terms of training, in terms of playing, in terms of fitness. And I always think as I always look back now and think I wish I stayed the way I was when I was 17 was people wanted to go out and party. People wanted to go out and be 17, which which isn't a problem. Mm-hmm. They wanted to go out. You know, I had a couple of friends. One of them was a good footballer. Played with me all the way up through Arsenal. He was a really good friend. He's still one of my best friends now. But he went the other way. He, you know, started enjoying the nights out. Started enjoying getting a nice car. Started enjoying the women. And I had a, I was very ruthless when I was a, a young kid. If you're not going to push me to where I want to be then I don't want to be around you Who was pushing you? Um, my dad pushed me my dad was the one person who was always there for me, always took me everywhere always believed in me I love my dad more than anything um, What do you love about him? Because um, he went to pieces after mum dies, dies and, and, and you're left with a huge responsibility of trying to keep your dad together. And that's, that doesn't go on for one or two years, that goes on for several years. Yeah, I, I hated my dad for what he did to us as a family in terms of him falling apart. Because now I've got three children myself and God forbid anything happened to their mother or, or someone had lost their person who was close to them, I would hope to think that I would be the the rock for them and be the the drive for them to carry on doing well and my dad wasn't that my dad wasn't that at all i'm going to stop you there jamie and jump in you've said two things that are i think the opposite sides of the same coin you hated your dad and you love your dad yeah now hate and love are not opposites (laughs) and i know that might be a bit of a surprise the opposite of love is not giving a damn at all yeah you've always given a damn you either hate him or you love him yeah is that right well I felt sorry for him because of what happened in his life, and he fell apart. Then why could you hate him if 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 you felt sorry for him? How do you ha- hold hold the same emotions of hate and feeling sorry? Because I guess he's my dad, you know. So I loved I love him because he was my dad, and I looked back at the help and the sacrifices that he made growing up um, with me and taking me everywhere as a young kid, and he got me to that point. Now, obviously, I lost my mum when I was 17 and, you know, I was just becoming a man. But I never forgot the fact that he's my dad and I loved him more than anything. Um, When my mum died, that family unit fell apart a little bit and he was the head of that and didn't keep it together. And we kind of all just had to kind of pick him up. You say didn't keep it together. Can you just explain what you mean by that? Well, he went to kill himself. He was severely depressed you know he lost the woman of his life and obviously didn't feel like he could carry on this is on the sporting couch on talk sport with samaritans when life is tough they're here to listen call free day or night 365 days a year on 116 123 or visit samaritans.org Right back then, to use the modern phrase, Dad was saying, it's okay not to be okay. And Jamie, I need your help. Could you ever imagine doing that to one of your children aged 18? No, never. I'd never. I'm very lucky I've got three amazing children who I love more than anything. And I don't think I could ever go to them and say I'm not okay. I would always try and hide it from them. Whether that's the right thing or not, you tell me. But Well, I would argue that you should be looking to meet somebody like me another psychologist, a psychotherapist, to have the conversations and take that material somewhere yeah. where it's safe. Exactly. And that's what these series of programmes are all about, yeah. to encourage people 
whatever they're going through, yeah. to seek help. You do not need to direct that towards young people. No, and, I, and that's what I did. Look, I had a tough divorce, went through some, a real, real bad time, and I always try and now, me and Danielle, try and just give happiness and, and show them that even though we're not together, that we're a happy family and we work for each other to make them the happiest kids they can be. Let's take you back to that time. Who were your mentors at Tottenham Hotspur who you look back at and say, you know what, I'm really glad that person was around? Um, or was there something? In terms of players or terms of manager? Players, or... managers, coaching, anything really. Did you, did you lean on anybody? Did, were you able to go to somebody and say, I'm going through a tough time? No, never. Is that because those people weren't there or you weren't ready to say I anything? think, well, when I was at Tottenham, what, 2008, when I was just kind of breaking into the team, I think there was still a massive stigma around talking and saying that you're not OK. And I never talked to anyone until I was 27. Hmm. Never talked about my mum. Anyone would ever ask me about my mum, I'd just say, I don't want to talk about it. Um, never spoke to anyone at football. And I never wanted to give anyone an upper hand on me at the training ground in terms of players and I never wanted to give a manager or a staff member an excuse to let me go. So what I'm hearing Jamie is the fact you're saying to me that I didn't want them to think I was weak and if they did think I was weak my worry was they'd say Jamie's not right let's leave him on the bench this week Jamie's not right let's leave him out the squad he's not in the right place to play this game. Yeah 100% 100%. I mean, that's the whole issue that I think there is with football. And Do you think it's there today? 100%, yeah. I think there's still a massive stigma in football in terms of mental health and you know players not talking about their situations because they look at the, the picture and think, I'm earning a lot of money. I'm not going to tell a player because people talk and that person might see it as a, an upper hand on them. Yeah, managers, I guess, think I'm not going to use him. So uh, you're saying that having a mental health issue is still seen as some sort of weakness in football in 2019? A 100%. 100%. I believe... That's pretty worrying, isn't it? I wouldn't disagree with you because, obviously, now I work in football. Yeah. I see the same thing myself. And yet other sports, cricket, rugby, I think they're moving towards that. I think they're, they're ahead of the game. I think there's still this issue where people will judge and say, oh, he's weak, he's weak, you know? They'd say, you know, if it's a player come out and talked about not being okay and, you know, his mental health wasn't right and he, you know, didn't feel right, another team or an opposition would use that and think, that's a weakness, we're going to jump on that. I'll ask you a question. I'm going to jump in here. A bit bit of a naughty question, but I'll ask it anyway. Imagine you're a counsellor or you're an agent... And your client, your footballer, says, Jamie, I really would like your advice here because I want to come out being gay mm-hmm. as a footballer. Yeah. What do you say to him? I would say do it. I, I don't understand the issue with it anymore. Now, the only issue is I don't think it's going to be in a dressing room and I don't think it's going to be at a football club. I think the issue that you're going to have is fans. We've got no gay footballers in the 92 football clubs, apparently. Uh, well, of course there are. There's loads of footballers that are gay. Not one has come out. We've got rugby players coming out as gay. We've got cricketers coming out as gay. We've not had the first openly gay football. Now, something's going wrong there, surely. Well, yeah, because I I don't see what the issue is. You know, I know there are gay footballers. I don't know, understand the reason behind not wanting to come out because I don't think it's an issue in this day and age. The issue, I believe, that is the reason why people don't, is the fans the opposition fans and the you're opening yourself up to a lot of criticism you know as much as you know it's easy to do it in rugby or cricket is a gentlemanly sport and the fans are gentlemen <laughs> yeah i'm gonna ask the mrs merton question where did it all go wrong oh god where did it all go wrong once i signed for walls it turned into a disaster um how and why I signed for Wolves on a big contract, on a five-year deal, on a lot of money. Can you tell me how much money? I was on 40 grand a week. And in today's terms, that would be even higher, wouldn't it? 
Yeah, I guess you're looking at sort of 80 to 100 grand a week in terms of the contracts that you'd be on now. What I did, signed for £5 million. What did that do to you? At the start, it was gonna, it was everything that I'd ever dreamed of. You know, I'd got the fantastic contract, I'd got the big money move, and I was joining a massive football club. So in terms of me being confident and everything that I wanted, you know, it was all there for me. Let's take a step back. You never wanted to leave Tottenham. You're a big Tottenham fan. Mm -hmm. What went wrong at the club? Why did you end up signing for Wolves? Harry Redknapp wanted to get rid of me. And it wasn't because he didn't like me. He didn't like the attention that I was getting at the football club in terms of going out with Danielle Lloyd, going out of, you know, being pictured in the press. You know, the club had moved on in terms of he he was doing fantastic, Harry Redknapp. I had gone on loan to Portsmouth, had a brilliant season gone really well but he yeah I was in and out of the team I never forget Harry Redknapp leaving me out when I first signed for Tottenham Harry Redknapp come up to me and the first thing he said to me he says you do well for me son I'll get you on a proper contract because I was on peanuts compared to everyone else and I was a young kid and I was playing in the first team and I never forget that and then I started going out of Danielle I was still doing well for Tottenham was playing in you know cup finals and still producing and I'll never forget, he left me out against West Ham, out of the squad. I asked him, Sherwood, who was like his kind of right-hand man at the time, was like the go-between, have I done something wrong? And he said, look, I'm going to be honest with you, mate. You know, you're being pictured in the, in the papers too much and Harry don't want it, Harry don't like it. And, you know, he said, you need to drop it. And I said to Harry, so I went and knocked on his door. You know, typical Harry was like, you know, no, Jamie, don't be silly. Don't be silly. That's not it. That's nonsense. But I knew it was. Me being me as a young kid, bit of an ego, carried on doing what I was doing. Just carried on getting pictured out. Carried on. I wasn't doing anything I shouldn't be doing. I just had a higher public profile relationship, which was getting a lot of media attention. And at that time, football managers didn't want that attention at the football club. So... I ended up on loan and then I ended up out the door. And it all come crashing down very quickly at Tottenham. But Jamie, what comes up for me is that alarm bells were beginning to ring. When Tim Sherwood says to you, your, your celebrity lifestyle is a problem for this football club, you know Harry Redknapp, you know his character, even when he said don't worry about it, you must have wondered, well, actually, does he mean this? Why didn't you hear the alarm bells? Because I was young and naive and I was in love. You can be in love in a very quiet and private and respectful way. You, can, you know, yeah. Being in love does not mean to say you have to be pictured at a nightclub at two o'clock in the morning. Well, this was the thing, and this was my argument, was I would be at this nightclub or restaurant with Danielle, sitting down, having some dinner, normal life, like anyone else. There would be five other footballers in that nightclub, and there would be five other footballers doing something that they shouldn't be doing. Mm -hmm. I was the one that got pictured and I was the one that was getting the attention because of the person you were with because of the person I was with but you see if if I was a 25, 24 year old footballer and somebody at the club said look just keep the thing quiet I wouldn't be going to a nightclub I'd be staying at home having a meal for two from the supermarket well this was the problem she wouldn't keep it quiet I wanted to keep it quiet and this is why me and Danielle ended up splitting up because I wanted to be quiet I realised that, you know, I loved Danielle. We were together and we had Archie, our first child, and, you know, we was building a relationship. But she didn't want to keep it quiet. What was the celebrity bubble like? Was it an addictive thing for you or Danielle or together? Did you enjoy it? No, I never liked it. I never liked it. I did it to keep her happy. I wanted to make her happy. Look, everyone likes to have their picture taken, you know, and I guess when you're a footballer, you're doing well, people are talking about you... You know, I was playing well at Tottenham and then I was playing well at Portsmouth and, you know, I guess it was the adulation that you thought you liked, but you didn't look at the repercussions behind the scenes, the damage that you were doing. And, you know, football's a very fickle sport and a very fickle industry and people start, will start talking. The newspapers called you the next Posh and Bex. Is that how you saw yourselves? Yeah. I, I, obviously, I was never on his level in terms of where he was as a footballer and as a player and what he'd achieved. I was never on that level. But I guess in terms of what we were trying 
to do was build us as a brand a brand and uh, you know we was doing look i just wanted to play football but i love danielle and i like going out of her and she you know she knew some good places that we used to go but the problem is and this is where the issue lies with going out with celebrities footballers are meant to live a very private rigid life in terms of you go in you train you go home celebrities want the media attention they need it they look for it they they thrive off here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs coming off their parents plan or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is On The Sporting Couch on Talk Sport with Samaritans. When life is tough, they're here to listen. Call free, day or night, 365 days a year on 116-123 or visit samaritans.org. This is a psychological profile of one of the most fascinating players of his generation, Jamie O'Hara. I forgot what happiness was. I, was, I wasn't happy on the inside... In, because I I felt like I hadn't wasn't grieving I, I didn't grieve over my mum, and then this whole whirlwind happened of playing football in the Premier League for Spurs, meeting Danielle Lloyd who's a Miss Great Britain, and everyone talking about you and I just went with it and as a young kid who didn't who thought I was invincible and just and just went with everything that I got thrown at me. When did you realise you were depressed? It's difficult to put a, a time on exactly when it was, but I guess over a period of not wanting to get out of bed, not wanting to play football, and not wanting to go and train, and not wanting to go out. You know, I just wanted to just be at home in my room with myself. I got cast aside at Wolves. Um, I wasn't allowed in in the in the training ground until three p.m. And why? Well, because. Things didn't go well. The club got relegated twice. They needed a scapegoat. I wasn't really playing well. I was having a tough time. I was injured. I'd been injured for quite a long period of my time at Wolves. And the new manager come in and then a chairman said that, you know, Jamie's got to go. Want him off the wage bill. But I was on a lot of money and no one would take me. And obviously they'd seen that my public profile would started to take a, a damaging effect on my career because... You know, I was being pictured on a yacht in Dubai when the club had just got relegated. Now, that wasn't something I'd ever planned to do and disrespect a football club, but it looked disrespectful because, you know, the club was in a, in turmoil and, you know, I was on holiday living a life of luxury. Now, that was the problem where I always was getting pictured when I didn't want to get pictured. So it was a downward spiral in terms of, of my career going the wrong way. If you don't mind me jumping in here, Jamie, there's a bit of victimhood going on in this story. You, what you just said to me is, I got pictured where I shouldn't have got pictured. You're responsible for that, mate. You know paparazzi are all over the shop. 
Wolves have just been relegated. You know what's coming. You are not a stupid man. You know exactly what's coming. And yet you don't stand up and say, this is damaging for Jamie O'Hara. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I didn't see it. And there was nobody there to just point it out And to there you. was no one there. And, and if know, you'd met me back then and I'd said, look, Jamie, this is damaging, 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 what would you have said to me? Yeah, you're probably right. Would you have done something about it? Yeah. But the problem was I had a lot of yes people around me, including my dad. And the one person who would have told me to be like, what are you doing, was my mum. And she wasn't there. I would have never been with Danielle if my mum was around. Why? Because you wouldn't have liked her. And she would have seen how effective that it was going to become on my life. You could have heard her voice. You, All of us will say at some point, I wonder what my mum, who's no longer around, I wonder what my dad is no longer around, would have thought about this. Yeah, but I always used to think, well, she's not around. She's dead. So it doesn't make any difference. So it doesn't make no difference. But now is she around inside you? Uh, yeah. As a dad yourself? Yeah. Are you laughing? Because you know what I mean, don't you? Yeah, I mean, now I, I look at situations and think... What was I doing? What was I doing? And I wanted my mum. Yeah. I would have loved her to have been around and just say, get your act together. Because it just spiralled out of control. Just become a mess. I'm going to take you to a very dark stage of your life. You talked about your dad thinking about killing himself. Mm-hmm. You too visited that point. Yeah. I went through a stage where I wasn't happy at home. And I wasn't happy at work. I would, I was, my life was spiralling out of control. I had all the money I could ever want, but I was miserable. And, you know, Wolves didn't want me. No other club wanted me. I was blacklisted as a player. For reasons, it was out of my control in terms of I couldn't do anything about it. I had to just pray that someone would give me an opportunity. And for a whole season, no one would. You know, I was depressed. I was really down about the way that my career had turned out because it could have turned out so differently. And then I was, you know, just be sat at home and I was miserable at home. And I started to blame Danielle for the situations that were going on in my life and, you know, still getting pictured out, you know, and it was just was spiralling. And I just felt like I wanted to kill myself because of where I'd let it get to in terms of my career and my life spiralling out of control with... No one else to help me, apart from... You know, I felt like I had no one to turn to. Dad had exactly the same feelings. It doesn't matter what you've got or you haven't got. You ended up at the same, the same destination. What did you say to Dad all those years ago? I said, you know, I can't do it without you. You know, I need you, my brother needs you. And, you know, life is not going to be worth living if you're not in it as well. So, you know, Mum wouldn't want it. And if you would have gone? My children kept me alive. What's going on for you right now? There's a smile on your face. <laughs> I'm trying not to cry. <laughs> it's all right. You're, you're allowed to cry. I've seen many a grown man cry. Yeah. You've come through the other side. Yeah. So my next question Almost. Is, <laughs> my next question is, how did he get through the other side? I made a change. How? I walked away from it all. I walked you... away from my contract at Wolves. I walked away from Danielle. How hard was it to walk away from the final year of your contract to Wolverhampton Wanderers? That wasn't hard. That wasn't hard, to be honest. Money was, money never made me happy. It's, look, everyone loves, and I always wanted to get to the top and earn a big contract. But I was never really, I was not a materialistic person. It wasn't hard for me to walk away from the contract. But I had to get away for my own sanity and my own health. I had to leave. And I knew that if I left and made changes that I could still potentially have a career in football. If I stayed there, I don't think I would have ever played football again. How hard was it to walk away from the mother of your children? Yeah, that was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Whose decision was it, yours or Danielle's? I cheated on Danielle. Um, Obviously, during that period, I was obviously down and depressed and I wasn't happy at home, and me and Danielle would gone down a slippery slope and you know I cheated on her did you cheat on Danielle as a way of ending the marriage it was an easy way out yeah it was... I'm always reminded of the Simon and Garfunkel song there must be 50 ways to leave your lover people who are not faithful in a relationship 
often are saying to the partner, this is the only way I know to get out of this. Yeah, me and Danielle weren't happy, and that was the that was the end of it, you know? We were arguing a lot. Um, we were miserable around each other, and, you know, I didn't want to be in it anymore. She didn't really want to be in it either. And We had a lot of love for each other and three amazing children. Done a lot of amazing things together. But I knew that I needed to get away. And then I got to the point where I... You know, I needed to just do it for my own sanity. Whatever it took, however much money it was going to cost me, it was something that needed to happen in my life. Looking back, and it's easy with hindsight, we can all have twenty twenty vision. Looking back, do you think there might have been a more appropriate way to end the marriage? Yeah, it should have been a man and comes to an agreement of this isn't working out for us and I'm not happy with the relationship and you know, we need to we need to break up. But I wasn't strong enough as a person to do that, so I looked for the easy way out, which I regret more than anything. What would your mum have said at that point? She would have been disgusted. She would have been, you know, not happy with my actions and not happy with the way my life was going, but then she would always sympathise, I guess, and I had to get out of a bad situation, and the only way out was to leave the football club and leave Danielle. What happened then, Jamie? And then I didn't have a job for six months. (laughs) And then I got divorced. You're listening to Talk Sport. This is On the Sporting Couch. I'm Gary Bloom, a sports psychotherapist, and my guest is former Spurs footballer Jamie O'Hara. Harry Redknapp, the person who actually made me leave Tottenham, well, not made me leave, but sent me on my way, gave me a lifeline. He was at QPR at the time, in the Premier League. He said, come and train. Keep yourself fit. I know you're a good player and I know you're a good a good lad. You know, I don't like what's happened to you. So come and keep yourself fit. So I went in and trained at QPR. It saved me life. <laughs> I think I would have continued down a slippery slope of being depressed and not knowing what to do with my life because I didn't, I didn't have anything else apart from football. Do you think Harry felt, in a very minor way, perhaps, responsible? No, I don't think he felt responsible. I don't think he felt responsible for me spiralling out of control because that's my own doing. You know, I made them mistakes and I made them decisions. What Harry saw was... I think what Harry saw was a, a, a really good player who played for him, worked worked hard, made different decisions in terms of what he wanted as a manager but didn't dislike me as a person. Um, and I think once he saw that I was out of football and saw that I was struggling, I see. I think he he saw a bit of his son in me, in terms of Jamie Redknapp struggled with a lot of injuries. Jamie Redknapp struggled to stay at the top, and Jamie Redknapp spiraled down in terms of his football career. Obviously, he's done amazing other things, but and I think he he saw that and thought I can I can help this lad to get back on his feet, and you know I'm. Two things I always remember, funny, and they're both from Harry Redknapp. One, him telling me not to get with Danielle, and two, him giving me the opportunity to get my life back on track. So how much did you get your life back on track? Massively, actually. Um, So you leave QPR? Well, I was only there training. So I was just there training, uh, went really well, trained fantastic. He didn't have the financial resources to sign me because they was having a bit of a difficult time. Um, but I was training with them every day. He gave me the environment of being back in football again. Mm. And Blackpool signed me from it. And Lee Clark phoned Harry Redknapp and Harry Redknapp said to him, you should definitely take Jamie. Like His attitude's fantastic. He's fit. Um, you know Our players have been raving about him in terms of his ability still. And your career takes off. I think you captain Blackpool, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, so I captain Blackpool. I uh, got player of the season. Um, done really well for them in a difficult period for them as a club um, but went fantastic for me they offered me a three year contract to stay but they they got relegated and I thought well, I'm back now I've got the opportunity to maybe go and play for Fulham and they offered me a trial uh, Kit Simmons was the manager and I actually played against Fulham on the last day of the season and uh, they beat us 1-0, but I won man in a match. I played really well, stood out you know, amongst amongst everyone. 
and Kit come up to me after the game and said, oh, you know, played really well. And there's a funny comment because he still talks about it now. I actually said to him, I said, if I was in your team, you would have won that game for now. <laughs> <laughs> and three days later, my agent phoned him and said, would you be interested in taking Jamie? And he said, yeah, I like his attitude. I like he backs himself. Um, we'll, we'll give him a trial at Fulham. And to me, that was a big middle finger to everyone that, that doubted me. You know, everyone who wanted me to foul. Everyone who wanted to see me in the gutter, basically. And there was a, and there was a lot of people that wanted to see me in the gutter. And that, to me, getting back to Fulham was, was my way of sticking my middle finger up to him. Who wanted to see you in the gutter? Um, I think every Wolves fan wanted to see me in the gutter. There were people who were in my life who were very close to me, who had spent a lot of time in my life, who weren't in it anymore but didn't want to see me do well. What happened at Fulham? I had a great spell. Went there, done fantastic. Well, I thought I'd done very well. The club was doing well. Uh, I was playing week in, week out. Uh, got the captain's armband a few times at Fulham. I think I ended up playing 40 games for them. Um, Kit Simmons got the sack. New manager come in. Wanted to do things differently. Different, different midfielders he was after. Wanted more energy. Come the end of the season, don't really know what happened. You sound frustrated still. Yeah, it hurt me, that one. Hurt me. So off off you go to where? I left Fulham. The contract didn't work out. um, And then I'm sat waiting around. And then Gillingham come in for me. That wasn't a great move for you, was it? No, it was... um, It wasn't for me. It wasn't their fault. I think on Gillingham's part, it was all me. Um, I went there frustrated at leaving Fulham because I felt like I was still good enough to be at Fulham and I felt like I'd done enough to earn myself another year there. Where were you psychologically at this period of your life? That I'd had enough of football. I didn't want to play football. I I was sick of it. I was sick of the politics. I was sick of people doubting me. I was sick of things not. But this is the love of your life. Of anybody or anything, Jamie, this is the love of your life and you turn your back on the sport that has given you, in theory at least, the most pleasure. Yeah, football was everything to me. Everything from a kid. Um, And now you say goodbye, getting divorced again. Yeah, I didn't want to do it no more. I walked away from a contract at Gillingham. I got injured and I thought to myself, I can't deal with another injury. I can't deal with another three months of stress. I can't deal with it, with managers on your case, trying to get fit again. Fans on your back. Why are you not playing? And I thought I'm not. I'm not going back to what I went through at Wolves. I'm not going back to it. I would rather go and get a day job and go back to that. So I walked away. How did Celebrity Big Brother come along then? Well, obviously I walked away from Gillingham. I wasn't fit. Um, I was injured. I was. I had a three, four month injury. Um, I walked away from the Gillingham deal with no money I didn't take a penny off them I had a two year contract there on, you know on good league one money the problem was I was running out of money um, was that because you were spending too much or I was spending too much we're back to the lifestyle again aren't we the problem I had was I wasn't playing football so I didn't have the, I didn't have the game on a Saturday I didn't have the, the training that you know to focus on and I was trying to find a fix. What was my fix? Because I wasn't on the pitch. I wasn't over that white line in playing in front of 30,000 people. The fix of being recognised, the fix of being... Exactly. Being... Celebrity. A celebrity. Well, not being a celebrity, but being... Having the adulation of people liking you and being, oh, that's Jamie O'Hara. Oh, Jamie O'Hara, he's great. But this is a man who said in this this programme, I didn't want the adulation. I didn't want that thing that Danielle brought to my life. That wasn't me. I wanted a quiet life. Yeah. And you end up in a goldfish bowl. I know. How does that work? Because I got to the point where I was like, football's done. So what am I going to do? I didn't have education. I didn't have anything to step back on. I never. I didn't have investments. I didn't save as a footballer. I was getting divorced and spending an awful lot of money. I got to the point where I thought, well, I'm in a public eye anyway, so I might as well do it. Everyone's talking about me anyway, so maybe this is an opportunity for me to give them my own peace of mind. Did you enjoy it? Yeah. Really? 
I did. I can't even think I'd want to do less. I'm not being snobby here. I just think... Listen, I never watched Big Brother. I was never a big fan of the show. The idea of... It was an opportunity not to be a celebrity and not to be anything other than Jamie O'Hara. I'm going to go on there with a mindset of show people you. And if they like you, great. If they don't, you got paid a lot of money. If you were to sum up in a short sentence what your message that you wanted to broadcast from Celebrity Big Brother, what would that message be? Don't judge a book by its cover. Everyone had seen the slating that I'd got in terms of the cheating, the downward spiral in my football career. You know, and everyone would have their two pence on Jamie O'Hara and the mistakes he's made. But never un- knew, no one knew me as a person. No one knew me. And it was my opportunity to go on a show and show people me as a person and me as who I am and not what people have read about me. So that's why I did it. That was why I did it. Were you successful, do you think? You've fallen out of love with football. Why on earth go back into it and play for Billericay? Because I missed it. I missed the everyday team spirit. I missed the the lads. I missed being part of something where it was... Um, you know, football was my life for a long time. And for a year, really, I didn't have it. I was completely out of football. I didn't talk about football. I didn't watch football. I didn't want to even do anything to do with football. And then after Big Brother... There was a, quite a lot of hype in terms of what I could do and opportunities that were put in my way. Um, but the football one was the one that I thought, this is an opportunity to step back into football. Why not take it? Um, it was non-league. You know, It was a club that was barking up you know, a lot of media attention. And There you go again, media attention. Yeah. But I put myself in that limelight now. And you often do. Yeah. Whether I mean to do it or not, but it seems to follow me around. There's the victimhood bit again. It seems to follow me around. What part do you play in that, Jamie? I guess to a certain degree. I've I've put it on my doorsteps from a, from a young age, since 18. Exactly. So... Can you see where I'm going with this one? This is somehow you say, this follows me around. <coughs> if I go to a restaurant, a nightclub, not that I go to nightclubs anymore, but if I go to a restaurant, there's no paparazzi outside. There ain't for me no more, which is great. Do you like that? I love it. You're an assistant manager now at Billericay, and when we met before in the canteen, you said, I'm probably earning less than I've ever done, but I've never been so happy. Yeah, because I realised... Now it's, you know, I've I've been through a lot. I've been through the ups and downs of football, uh, personal lives, and, you know, I love football. I love talking about football, and I think I know what I'm talking about. Um, and it was a chance for me, a stepping stone, to, to go into the coaching side of it. And I started to look at my, you know, I, look, I had to look at it and think, I'm never going to go back playing professional football as a player. I don't think the opportunity is going to come up. So what are you going to do, Jamie? Are you going to keep going through your spendings or are you going to realise that, you know, there's a longevity in being involved in football if you love the game? Um, go and do your badges and look for an opportunity. And this opportunity come up to become assistant manager at Billericay. And, you know, it's something that I jumped at. It was something that I jumped at because it was a chance for me to put everything that I've learnt and dealt with over the years to, you know, start to build a, a future for myself and a bit more longevity in terms of in staying in the game. I have a theory about coaches and the relationship you have with the players who play underneath you. And it goes like this, that the type of coach that you are today is hugely influenced by your own parenting because how you deal with younger people, how you deal with your own kids, how you deal with people who look up to you is very much set about 
was set when you were a young man yourself. Would you agree with me? And what sort of coach are you? Um, I would disagree. Okay. I would disagree. I would say that I would like to be a coach um, from the experiences that I've had in football. So use my experiences from the, the coaches that I've had, the managers that I've had, and the experiences that I had in football, good ones and bad ones, and look at them and use, take the good bits out, take the bad bits out, and use them for yourself to put into your own philosophy as a as a coach and as a player, uh, uh, as a manager. Um, and that's how I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's down to my parents of how I'm going to be as a coach. I would be I think it would be down to the twenty years that I've had in the game. Um, and the experiences that I've picked up of what how I would have my philosophy. Are you happy today? I'm getting there. I'm trying. I'm hanging in there. I've been through some bad times, but you know I believe in myself now. I've been given a, a new lease of life in terms of an opportunity to be in football for a, another 20 years. I've actually realised I love coaching, and I'm good at it. Jamie O'Hara, many thanks for joining me on The Sporting Couch. Thank you, mate. This is On The Sporting Couch on Talk Sport with Samaritans. When life is tough, they're here to listen. Call free, day or night, 365 days a year on 116 123 or visit samaritans.org. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.